Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. Good morning. Try that again. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Um, if you're new to Resurrection Church, I want to welcome you. Res, let's welcome our guests. If this is your first time, we want you to know we're glad you're here. So honored that you're here with us. There, uh, as was inning service, we are just the mics don't like me today. Um, there's a QR code on the back of the seat in front of you. If you want to scan that, you can find out pretty much everything that's going on at Res Church, how to get involved and how to know more. And so we encourage you to do that. Also stop by and meet a lovely couple at the welcome table, uh, Jonathan and Rachel Sturgill, who are back there and they will assist you. We're glad that you're here. Um, I'm gonna ask Donnie and Shelly Kaufman and the elders who are here to just come to the platform for a minute. Uh, we have one elder who is on a missions trip in Italy with his wife. Why do you laugh at that? Uh, Jonathan and Mandy are in Italy. Uh, if they're, I doubt they're watching. It's probably like, well, it's in the afternoon there. They might be watching. Um, if you are watching, shame on you. You should be enjoying Italy. But uh, anyway, um, I imagine that word of this has leaked out a little bit, probably. Some of you may know. But uh, today, we have sort of a bittersweet announcement. Donnie and Shelly. Uh, Donnie's one of our elders. Shelly's very involved in our church. Uh, they lead a small group. Um, they are going to be moving to Kentucky uh, sometime towards the end of October. Is that right? And yet, I can, I'm not going to even look at them. Um, they're going to be moving to October uh, to, to Kentucky towards the end of October. Um, the reasons why. Uh, they just decided they don't like us anymore, um, and they don't like Greenville, and they're just tired of the upstate of South Carolina. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Shelly's family is there, and they, just as of this past May, became empty nesters. Their youngest boy graduated high school. He's in college now. Um, and Donnie's parents, who both lived here, passed away uh, within the last couple of years. And so, yeah, come on, you can come on. Mary has the tissue ministry this morning. Um, they um, are going to move to Kentucky to be closer to Shelley's family. Um, and so they are, as you might imagine, in the throes of getting ready to move, putting their house on the market, uh, getting everything situated here. The Lord has already provided a job. It's really just amazing uh, how this is definite. This is why I say it's bittersweet. We're sad, but the Lord is in it. And when the Lord is leading his people, how can the people of God not rejoice in that, right? Even as we cry, even as we shed tears, we can rejoice and cry at the same time. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks, really, when it comes to Donnie and Shelly. Uh, today, they're not going to speak to you. Uh, we're going to give them a few weeks, a few weeks to prepare for that. Um, here's, here's what we're going to do. Starting next week, the, we're going to have basket or baskets out in the sanctuary for you 
to bring cards, letters, and gifts if you feel like you want to do that over the course of the next couple of weeks. You can just write a short note or a long note, it really doesn't matter, uh, of appreciation, of love, anything that you want to express to Donnie and Shelly uh, for their, just your love for them, their love for you, friendship, uh, their role of service and leadership in our church, anything. Those words are going to mean a ton, okay? And we need to, one of the things that I think Resurrection Church has done well for a long, long time is that we transition well and we send people well when the Lord says it's time to move, okay? So let's keep doing that with Donnie and Shelly. So I encourage you prayerfully, write cards, write notes of appreciation, include gifts. They have moving expenses. We're going to help them with that, but you can help too. Amen? Amen? All right. Um, So prayerfully do that. On October the 16th, on that Sunday, we're going to have, Donnie's going to, and Shelly are going to actually speak to the church, and I'm going to say a few words. Uh, That might be your last Sunday. Is that your last Sunday? I think so. So October the 16th, they're going to share a few words in service, and we're going to have a reception between services, similar to how we do First Sunday Fellowship, but it's going to be between services, and I want to encourage everybody to be here. I'm going to pull hard on the on the second service to get here early and be a part of that. Uh, it'll be somewhere on the property, depending on weather. It'll just be a time for Donnie and Shelly to be able to greet you face-to-face, as they're going to be able to do over the course of the next few weeks as they're able to be here. Um, but that Sunday in particular, we're going to have a reception between services. So just be prepared for that, okay? Um, I'm going to pray over them and let them go serve in kids' ministry. That's why we love them. Oh, their second service. They're doing that second service. They'll be in here first service. Second service, they're doing that. So show some love to them, would you, with a hand clap? Would you just love on them? Come on. Yeah. There's a lot to say, and I'm fighting the temptation to just say it all now, but that'll come on a few Sundays from now, but today we're going to pray. That's what we need to do first, so let's pray together. We are your people, and I thank you, I thank you for friends, man. We have many acquaintances in this life, but look, man, you give us a few friends. And I want to thank you for giving us Donnie and Shelly as friends. Oh, God, I don't want them to go. But, oh, and there's so much I'm thankful for. I'm thankful, Lord, that you brought them at just the right time for them and for us. We needed them and they needed us. And you, you did that. And Lord, I'm so thankful. I wouldn't have a team of elders without this man. Uh, Lord, you have used them so mightily in their small group and, and in so many people's lives and in this community. Man, what an impact they've had. And so, Lord, we just 
today, we're just going to focus right here. That this is your plan. This is part of the ordered steps that you have for them. As much as part of us won't, doesn't like that, we do celebrate it because it's your plan and your plans are perfect and they're good. And so I ask, Lord, that you guard their hearts and minds and our hearts and minds with your peace, the peace that passes understanding. Um, I pray that all the details of the move, they are many, and I know they're overwhelming, but I just with them this morning, we all together, we lay those at your feet, and we trust that the house is going to sell um, for the right price at the right time and the right buyer and um, all the things to get them to Kentucky and building a new house, starting a new job, a new life, uh, familiar people, but yet yet a lot of unfamiliar things as well. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless them in this transition. Um, bless Shelly's family as they prepare to go and be close together again. I pray, Lord, that that would be really sweet and everything that you intend it to be. Um, bless their boys. Um, all of them are going to be affected in different ways by this move. And I just pray that your hand would be upon them and their lives and all the details of their lives. And Lord, we just ask that um, as a church, you help us to celebrate and honor them well. Your word commands us to give honor where honor is due and honor is due here. And so I pray that we would do that well. Help us, not just so that we can um, celebrate all that's happened, but Lord, in honoring them, it would be the fuel in their tanks that's needed for the season that's ahead. And I thank you for that, Lord. And we just trust entrust them into your hands today and in the weeks to come, and especially at the end of this of next month when they when they move. And we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If y'all don't mind remain standing, I want to worship in the Word now. God loves Donnie and Shelley. We love Donnie and Shelley. God loves us. Here's a love story that we're going to dig into this morning. Y'all ready for that? I want to read the sermon text this morning, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Start reading verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
He also told the, this parable to some who trusted in, them, in themselves that were, they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice, twice a week. I give tithes all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself, himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. not working? Yeah, I guess so. Well, good morning. See, see now I'm, I'm out of my rhythm. It's out of my rhythm. All right. Um, don't mind if I take this thing off because I don't like it on my ears. And if I'm not using it, I definitely don't want it on. All right. I used to do this every week. We'll see what happens. All right. Um, it's a rare thing in the Gospels for Jesus to tell a parable and give us the point of the parable in explicit terms. We, we've talked about this a lot. Parables are like jokes in a way. They're not jokes but like a joke, a parable has a point, it has a punchline. And when you read a parable, what you want to do is you want to find the punchline. When you tell a joke, you don't give the punchline right out of the gates. Mary's dad does that sometimes, and it, that's actually more funny than his jokes when he does that. But in this case, Jesus gives the point or the punchline before each parable. Look at verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. You're not ever tempted to do that, are you? You're not ever tempted to pray and not lose heart. Oh, it's awful quiet in here. How many of you have attempted to persist in prayer, and as you did that, it felt like things got worse? I'll raise my hand, like, like you experience an injustice of some sort or another, and instead of getting angry, you do the right thing. Instead of trying to take matters into your own hands, you take the matter to the Lord in prayer. And the more you do that, the worse it gets. And you might be tempted to give up and lose heart. Here, here's, here's the point of the second parable. Verse 9 he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. How many of you are tempted at times to measure the quality of your prayer life and, and your spiritual life in general by how well you're performing? I'll raise my hand. I'm the only, yeah, thank you, Jonathan and Rachel. By how well I'm performing, I tend to measure 
the quality of my spiritual life by that. I mean, there are weeks where I'm loving Mary well. I, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching and teaching well. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm not getting mad when I'm driving. I'm patient with my children. Things are just good. And, and when they're going that good, I'll even include things that are non-spiritual, like I'm getting my exercise in, I'm eating well, I'm sleeping well, and I'm on a spiritual cloud nine. Then all of a sudden, Mary and I get in an argument. Somebody cuts me off on the interstate. I find myself getting impatient with my children, and I'm losing my temper, Right? And then I, I, I skip exercise, I go to Wendy's and Chick-fil-A three or four times, I don't sleep well two or three nights, and then I question, am I even saved? <laughs> Anybody else ever feel like your, your spiritual life just turns on a dime like that? You've heard this statement before. Life is hard, but God is good. I, I might expound on that a little bit. Life is hard, we are weak, but God is good. Nobody's going to deny, I mean, even if you're not a church or a Bible person, if, you, if you're just unsure about all this Jesus stuff, nobody's going to deny if you're honest that life is hard and we are weak. We are weak, we are fickle, the weather can change, and our whole outlook on life can be altered if you can start to imagine, knowing that life is hard and we are weak, that God is also good. God is good. Life is hard. We are weak. God is good. If all of that's true, I want you to do something with me. Don't fall asleep, but close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to block everything else out. And I want you to imagine, imagine knowing that life is hard, we are weak, God is good. What if we were able to remain in a consistent posture of humble, prayerful dependence all the time, regardless of whatever we're facing? Think about that for a minute. I know that sounds maybe fairly simple, but oh man, do we struggle to stay there. A consistent posture of humble, prayerful dependence, regardless of what we're facing. What if we lived right there? Now open your eyes. You don't have to answer out loud, raise your hand, say amen or oh me. But how many of us struggle to live that kind of life, to have that kind of prayer life, humble, consistent posture of prayerful dependence. That's what Jesus is after here. Now, I know last week's sermon and last week's text was a doozy. And I know, I know for a fact, because I've heard feedback, some might have left a little bit confused. And I get that. I'm still a bit confused over the end of Luke 17. And I told you, I, I'm not entirely sure exactly or how to emphatically land the plane one way or the other, but here's what I think is true this morning. It's no coincidence that Luke includes these two parables from Jesus right after the discourse at the end of chapter 17. 
Because regardless of where you land on the end of Luke 17, whether or not Jesus is talking about the second coming and the future fulfillment of the kingdom, or he's talking about the crashing judgment that fell on Israel and particularly on the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70, or maybe it's a little of both, regardless of where you land, here's what Jesus has made absolutely clear. When the Son of Man comes, what comes with him is judgment and carnage for those who are in rebellion against him. That's abundantly clear. God's people are going to be saved, but for those who are outside the kingdom, if you don't perceive, if you don't lean in, if you don't submit to this Jesus, it's not going to go well for you. And even for Jesus' disciples, he's made it clear to them, and the Bible makes it clear to us That in the world in which we live, where life is hard, we are weak, but God is good, we are going to face persecution, hardship, trials, and injustice. That's a guarantee. You may not like that news, because some people want to make this Bible about how God's going to rescue you from everything that's hard, and that's not true. He'll take you through the hard to show you just how much life is hard, we are weak, but God is good. And the disciples are grappling with that, and so are we. We're grappling with that. We grapple with it all the time. We might find ways to ignore it. We might find ways to distract ourselves from it. That's why our culture is so addicted to entertainment. We're trying to distract ourselves from life is hard and we are weak. But I just love the songs that we sang this morning. Did you feel that? There's one name to which every knee's gonna bow. He's great. He's King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. We get our focus on that. Man, suddenly we find we find this energy, this motivation, this love for him that carries us through these inevitable times where life is just going to be hard and at times get harder. So it's into that kind of, I don't know, atmosphere that Jesus commissions his disciples to persist in prayer and not lose heart. Let's read the parable again. Chapter 18, verse 2 to 5. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Now, we got two characters, and they could not be further apart, okay? We got a judge, an unrighteous judge who neither fears God, he's godless, non-God-fearing, and he doesn't respect people. How tragic is that? Judges in the first century were like the judges today. They're appointed to the judicial seat, And they have the power and the authority 
to avenge, to bring justice. And how tragic is it that we've got a judge here who is entirely selfish. He doesn't care. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect people. And contrasted with that, we've got a widow, the weakest of the weak, at least in the first century. She has nothing. She has no way to leverage influence on the court to her advantage. She doesn't have the means to hire a lawyer to put pressure on the judge. All she can do is badger him. All she can do is plead over and over and over and over and over again to this unrighteous, uncaring, non-God-fearing judge until he relents. And finally, he relents. But he doesn't relent because he fears God. He doesn't relent because he's pursuing justice. He doesn't even relent because he has compassion on this weak, poor, helpless widow. He relents because he's thinking about himself. He relents because he's so tired of her bothering him that he says to himself, if I'll just give her what she wants, she'll leave me alone. And this is the story Jesus tells so that we persist in prayer and not lose heart. What in the world, Jesus? Well, he gives us the application, verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? If, I, if you write in your Bibles, you ought to underline God. You ought to underline elect. Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give, them just, give justice to them speedily. I'd circle that. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? What a question. Oh, it's a mouthful. Let's see if we can break it down. Here's the first thing Jesus says. God is the righteous judge. We've talked about this before. Jesus does this a lot. He'll argue from the lesser to the greater, right? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, that's the lesser. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the greater. If God clothes the birds, takes care of the birds and clothes the lilies of the field, that's the lesser. How much more will he take care of you? That's the greater. That's what we got here. If an unrighteous judge will bring justice, even if it's for the wrong reason, how much more will God, the righteous judge, do what is right? You got it? Here's the second thing he says. God cares about his people. Jesus says, will not God bring justice to his, what? Say that word. Say it again. I know that doesn't roll off the tongue easy. But just listen to me, church. If you're a believer, if you're born again, God chose you. You belong to him. 
So if a widow, the weakest of the weak, can go to an unrighteous judge and get justice... I'm about to cut a backflip. How much more can God's elect go to the righteous judge and receive justice? Are you with that? Doesn't that sound good? But doesn't it feel like the justice just doesn't come right when we want it to? Because then here's what Jesus says. Persistence matters. And I know, if, you, if you've been at Resurrection Church for any length of time, you know we believe the Bible clearly, categorically, explicitly, without question, declares that our God, the God of heaven and earth, is sovereign. Sovereign over heaven and earth. And I think the Bible declares he's not, only, he's not somewhat sovereign, he is totally sovereign meticulously sovereign. And so the question gets raised by Christians all the time. If he's sovereign, why pray? He's going to do what he wants. If he's sovereign, why pray? Certainly, why would I persist in prayer? There's a couple of things I want to say about that. Number one, the God of heaven and earth who is sovereign commands you to persist in prayer. Probably wise you obey that. I, don't know, I had this spirit of Cody on me this morning of sarcasm. I don't know what this is. This is coming from you. So persist in prayer, first of all, because God commands it. Secondly, here's what I think the Bible makes clear is that God is sovereign, which means he not only determines, we've talked about this, he not only determines the ends or the outcomes, he determines the means by which those outcomes are going to come to be. And how amazing, wonderful, strange, and odd is it that one of God's intended means to accomplish his intended purpose is the prayers, persistent prayers, of his weak but chosen people. He chooses us and he says, pray. Pray, my children, and keep praying because your prayers are a means by which I'm going to accomplish what I intend. How many of you feel like you've been treated unfairly at any point in your life? Raise your hand. I'll raise mine too. We all have. I heard a skeptic say, there's no such thing as fair. Fairness means one side got exactly what they wanted in a way that the other side can't complain about. Probably true a lot of the time. But yet we all have this longing, and I think it's a righteous longing for justice. And here's what God is promising us. Here's what Jesus is promising us in Luke 18, is that God will bring justice. So keep praying. Does God keep his promises? That's not in question. Justice is coming. Just not on our terms and not on our timetable. 
but it is coming. So persist in prayer. Don't lose heart. And we're going to see this in the next parable. Stay humble and posture towards God. And I think the Bible also commands us towards other people. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 18. When you face injustice of any sort, these instructions could not be more clear. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You may ever found that to be hard? Me too, especially when I'm on the interstate. Verse 19. Beloved, oh, this is huge. Never, never avenge yourselves. Wow. But leave it. It's not like God is saying, your longing for justice, that, that cry that comes up out of you when you face it, stuff that in a, in a drawer somewhere and ignore it. That's not what God says. What does he say? Leave it to the wrath of God. Why? For it is written, vengeance is mine. You know what? We're not equipped to execute justice. That's why the justice system is imperfect. Every human judge is imperfect, right? Pray for them because what an incredible task they have that is beyond them. We just have to do the best we can. But God declares from the Old Testament, vengeance belongs to me. So never avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God. I will, listen to the promise, I will repay says the Lord. To the contrary, here's what we're to do then. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil. Not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If you're facing injustice, I would encourage you, live right there in Scripture and let that just grow deep roots on the inside of you. Depend on the Holy Spirit. We are never commanded in Scripture to do anything that we're not resourced by the Holy Spirit to walk out. You can walk that out. Then Jesus closes the parable with a question that I think, personal opinion, I think it's rhetorical. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, when he comes, whatever that might, whatever specific coming that might refer to, will he find his people persisting in prayer and not losing heart? Continuing in prayerful dependence. Will he? And here's why I say that's rhetorical. Because the Bible, let me ask you a question. Just by offering your amen, do you believe? Now consider this. Are you going to keep, continue to believe tomorrow? Are you going to still be believing next year? Now don't answer out loud, but just consider this. How do you know? Why? If you're a believer now, 
how do you know? And remember when I had you close your eyes and we considered what would it be like if we actually lived in a posture of humble, prayerful dependence all the time, regardless of what circumstances we're facing? How do we know that we're going to continue to believe We're going to continue to trust. Are we confident that that's going to happen regardless of what we might face? Because I'm like you, and I think you're like me, that, you know, if if you're in a season where life is is going pretty much like you want it to, like it, it may be a few clicks off here and there or whatever, but if you're in a place where it's like, you know what, life is moving along at at least 75% of the way that I would choose for it to. You have those moments, and I do too, where I go, but what if fill in the blank happened? The worst case scenario, what if? We don't want to live in fear or dwell on those things, but I think it's a worthy question, isn't it? Would I continue to believe? Would I persist? Would my faith remain? And here's what I'll tell you before I show it to you in the Bible. Believers, you will. First Peter chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. Oh, I love that. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. You're not the cause of your new birth. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable. Listen to these words. Our inheritance that's coming. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Do you know anything that that's true of? I don't know about you, but I'm fading. (laughs) Kept in heaven for you. Verse five. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Do you you hear that? Your believing is not owing to what you've stirred up on the inside in terms of confidence in God. It's actually God's power at work in you that's going to keep you for that inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. Do you know why you're going to still be believing next year regardless of what comes? Because of God's power. The Apostle Paul said it this way, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God at work in you to will and do according to his good pleasure. God is at work in his believing ones to keep them believing. And that power, oh, that power that's doing that is the same power that caused Christ to raise from the dead. That's the power at work in us. So you will keep believing. That's why I say it's a rhetorical question from Jesus. Will the Son of Man, when he comes, find faith on the earth? Yes, he will, because God's power is at work in his people to guard them through faith. For salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time, verse 6, 
I think I'll stop at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials or trials of all colors. We will go through. We will face injustice. We will face hardship and trouble at times. Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. Blessed assurance. We're being, God has rebirthed us and he's guarding us by his power through faith. So do you see, when I ask the question, what would it be like to stay in this humble, prayerful, dependent posture no matter what I'm facing? As much as that might seem elusive to us at times, here's the basis upon which we can lean into that. God's power at work in us. I got to do the other parable. I'm going to do it in five minutes. Luke 18, verse 9 to 13. <laughs> I love it when Jerry's here. Verse 9. He told them this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, I'm going to go ahead and read verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I, I, the contrast of characters should be readily apparent, right? Uh, so I'm not going to unpack that. We just got a self-righteous, arrogant Pharisee who's lauding his own spiritual piety. And we got a tax collector. We know who tax collectors are, right? They're Jewish traitors, the worst of all sinners, who's beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's, it's, it's almost a nauseating parable when you consider it, right? Like, like, how prideful and ugly and arrogant is this tax collector? And, and we have to be honest and say that it's not like we're not guilty of that kind of self-righteousness sometimes. And yet we all know what it's like to also fall to our faces and, and beg for mercy from this God. Here's my question for today. How would we connect the two? How would, how would we connect these, these two parables, the persistence in prayer and not losing heart as we're praying about justice and then consider this parable where Jesus lauds the humility of the tax collector and declares him justified while this Pharisee, who's a spiritually elite, pious person, goes home unjustified. How would we connect those two? Here's a question. What business does an unjust person have praying for justice? Like, like, think about that for a minute. We cry to the righteous judge for justice, and what business do we have doing that? If a man murders another man's wife, 
And that man, in turn, murders the first man's wife in response. What business does the first man have going before the justice or judge saying, give me justice for my murdered wife? He killed the other man's wife first. Does it make sense? What business does he have doing that? Here's the startling reality of the gospel. Unjust people are declared just by grace and grace alone. That's it. Jesus' broken body and his shed blood and the imputed or the gifted righteousness of Christ is the only reason we can be confident in going before the righteous judge and saying, give me justice. I leave it in your hands. And what he should do, what he could do, is wipe all of us off the face of the earth because we're Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. All means. So, by grace, through faith, you've been justified. I've been justified. And we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We didn't work our way into it. And we're not working our way to keep it. And when you stew on that, when you let that reality wash over you, what kind of posture does that make you want to get in as you come before this righteous and holy God? Oh God, be merciful to me. And I trust you with justice. I leave it in your hands because it's not my responsibility and Lord knows if it was, I would mess it up. But I leave it to you. We're going to come to the Lord's table and I want our host team to get ready. Stephen, you can come. And I, I just, you know, I, I've met with some people just this, these last two weeks who are struggling because of wrongs against them, things that they're battling. And so I know that this, this is something we all face. And, and I'll go back to the question I had at the beginning is that what if we remained in this humble, prayerful, dependent posture before God all the time, regardless of what we're facing, trusting him with justice, trusting him with righteousness and remaining before God in this humble posture because it's only by grace and grace alone that we have been saved. That's what I want us to think about as we come before the Lord's table this morning, that it's only by his broken body and his shed blood that we're declared righteous, just, that we can come before this God and trust him with justice no matter what. Amen? So two guys are going to come down here. I'm going to do it a little different. And two guys are going to remain at the back. Hopefully that'll help us be a little bit more efficient. Uh, just remember, let me have one of these, Andy. We have two cups stacked. So you'll just grab a stack of two. If you're new to Res Church, the bottom cup has the bread in it. The top cup has the juice. Just hold until all have received. And then we're going to take together. 
Steve is gonna lead us in worship as we come. So if you're closer to the back, you can just process to the back, grab your elements and return to your seat. In the front, you can do the same and then we'll receive together. Let me pray and then I'll invite you to go grab the elements. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we can trust you. You are the righteous judge. And it would be so incredibly daunting and so, so fearful for us to come before you were it not for the blood of our Lord and the broken body of our Lord. So I pray that, Lord, we would humble ourselves this morning. We would humble ourselves before you in prayerful dependence and celebrate that the unjust has been declared just. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and you can grab the elements as Stephen leads us. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z-Faith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.